Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Celebration Church, let's put our hands together for Jesus. All right. Y'all may have thought I said Jeebus, but I said Jesus with an S. Let's put our hands together for Jesus. <laughs> there we go. There we go. While you guys are feeling so, so, so generous, let's also welcome our online audience, Orange Park, Julington Creek, um, those who are joining us in our, in, our, in our lounges. Thank you guys so much for being here. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Keith Pittman. I serve as the, the next-gen pastor here at Celebration Church, and I'm truly honored to be able to stand on this platform and, and share God's Word with you uh, today. But before I do that, I have to take a moment just to, 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 to presence and, and recognize our incredible pastors, Pastor Stovall and Pastor Kerry Weems. You know, when I think about all the things that take place on this incredible platform, as we saw some clips of what God has planned for us in 2016, but in addition to just what God has done in 2015, we've seen some of the most incredible communicators, worship teams that all been on this very same platform. And I'm humbled when I think about the fact that in addition to the Bishop T.D. Jakes, when I think about Brian Houston, when I think about our own Pastor Stovall and Pastor Kerry Weems, that they would open up this platform and allow me to stand here and, and share a word that God has given me with the people that he has given them to shepherd. I'm, I'm no less in awe of, of the humility that they have as leaders, and so this is not a common thing. So church, can we put our hands together and honor our incredible pastors, Pastor Stovall and Pastor Kerry. We're so grateful for them, we love them. They truly do believe in, in the next generation, and, and so um, we're, we're just gonna jump right in. Um, how many of you guys are excited that, it's, that we're in 2016? Any, anybody? I mean, that's, that's crazy. Like, I'm, I'm old enough that I remember when, we, when it went into the year 2000. Remember when everybody thought the world was gonna fall apart in the year 2000, like, and software companies got rich because if you didn't get the software, they felt that the planes were gonna fall out the sky, all that stuff. Like, I remember when all that stuff happened, and I was right along with it, Y2K, I was concerned, and, and here we are 16 years into it, and, and look how far we've come. And, and when I think about 2015, for some of us, we can look at 2015 as being a blur. It happens so quickly because maybe we have some momentum and some things that God has done in our lives and we're just looking forward to 2016 and carrying that momentum into this next season. But, but for others of us, if we're honest, we would say that 2015 was a tough year. And, and some of us kind of like dragged across the finish line like an out of shape marathon runner, like I would do. Just kind of like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that I even made it, but I'm here and I'm looking forward to 2016 because I need a fresh start. And, and wherever you are in the spectrum, the reality of it is that 2016 can be your best year ever if you truly put God first. But, but here's, here's what I learned about that process of transition. We all are, are, are honest enough with ourselves when we make our New Year's resolutions, when we, when we set our goals for the new year, that we basically there's a moment where you assess where you are and then you recognize where you wanna go. That's, that's the fundamentals of setting goals. Like, this is where I'm at today, but this is where I would like to be a year from today. And then there's a process in between of that transition. Well, the problem is a lot of times when we look at 2015, we set our goals off of the heartbreak, the pain of 2015. So we make decisions to let go of things that we probably need to bring that education and wisdom into 2016 to kind of make sure that we don't repeat the same mistakes. But in addition to that, we look at 2015 and we may have had some successes, but as we go into our next season, we may carry those same things with us. And God is actually saying, you need to let those go if you actually wanna reach another level that God is calling you to go to. So how do you recognize where I'm at where God has taken me to, and how do I transition and hold on to the things I need to hold on to and let go of the things that I need to let go of? 
You know, the Bible is filled with stories of people who are constantly in a season of transition. And truly, your success will be found by the things that you can identify that you need to hold on to, but also recognize the things that you need to let go of. And I believe that there's a perfect story in the Bible that really helps to illustrate this point. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Genesis, um, the 32nd chapter. Um, if you don't, they'll have the, the, the scriptures on the screen, so that's okay. As you're turning there, I want to give you a, an update as to what's going on up to this point so we're all on the same page. In Genesis 25, we're introduced to a very interesting character named Jacob. Jacob is truly one of the most colorful characters in the Bible, in, in my opinion, and, I, and I'll tell you why. Ever since he was in his mother's womb, he knew that he had wanted to do something great with his life. It's interesting, but even in his infancy, he knew that. He wrestled with his brother while he was yet in his mother's womb. When he was born and, and he recognized that his brother was born before him, so even though he was a twin, his brother was born before him. And when you were a twin, especially back in those times, and, and you were the second born, there were certain things you just didn't have access to. So because he recognized that he was the second born, that his brother was born before him, that there were things that his brother was gonna inherit that he wanted. So Jacob, using his intellect, using his conniving ways, what Jacob was, managed to, was able to do was he was able to connive and trick his brother out of the birthright. The birthright is simply saying a double portion of the inheritance. He was able to get that from his brother. Well, his brother was like, man, I'm not really concerned about that because the blessing is where it really is. See, the blessing is the spiritual transference of whatever the destiny is for your family line. So when God spoke to Abraham and said that I'm gonna make you a mighty nation, it was often gonna be passed down to the next generation, but there was a single line that would carry that. That's what the blessing was. But when Jacob recognized that, man, I got the birthright, but I really want the blessing because that's where the, that's where the divine provision and everything is, he found a way that he was able even to manipulate and get that as well. He literally dressed up like his brother. He disguised himself as his brother. He, he talked like his brother. He smelled like his brother. He walked like his brother and was able to trick his father into giving the blessing to him. Now, needless to say, now his brother is extremely upset. And his brother has made up in his mind that once our father dies and I finish with this mourning process, I'm gonna kill you. Because not only did you take my, my, my birthright from me, but now you took the blessing from me. I really don't have anything else that's gonna hold me back. I'm gonna kill you when this whole process is over with. So here Jacob recognizes that, man, I don't wanna die. What's the point of getting the blessing? If I'm gonna die the next week, then I gotta pass it on to my brother right back. So what he does is he decides to run away. And when he runs away, he finds himself living with his uncle, which is his father-in-law. Listen, it gets weird. Back in those days, it was okay if your father-in-law was also your uncle. We're not gonna talk about that right now. But anyway, um, <laughs> He, he finds himself and he's, he's staying with his father-in-law slash uncle and he, he, obviously he marries the daughters and, and he finds himself um, reaping a little bit of the things that he sowed. He sowed deception so he now is becoming the recipient of deception from his uncle. So for 20 years, he works under his uncle's um, leadership and it's not always been the most um, prominent. So what he decides to do is he says, you know what, I, I gotta get free. I gotta, I gotta move on. I gotta take my family and begin to establish the thing that God has given me the blessing to do. Well, when he leaves, he doesn't tell his uncle slash brother-in-law, so his uncle slash brother-in-law is a little upset with him, and so he begins to pursue him. Well, when his uncle slash brother-in-law chases him down and he finds, he catches up to him, God speaks to the uncle and tells him not to kill him, and so he has this moment where he's been running, he's exhausted, he finally reconciles with his uncle, father-in-law, he gets that all worked out, but now he recognizes that at this exact moment, I'm standing on my brother's territory. The very same brother that told me he would kill me 20 years ago, I'm in his region and he receives word that his brother is coming towards him with 400 men. Imagine the emotions and all the things that's going on inside of him as he begins to process and think through like, man, like I've, I've been running all these years. I ran away from 
my home. I, I, I ran away from my, my uncle, and now here I am. I'm right back, and my brother's coming after me, and there, I don't have enough time to get away. My brother will be here tomorrow. I don't know what else to do. This is where we pick up Jacob's experience here in, in, in verse 22. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, his 11 sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. The man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. What is your name, the man said. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you need to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means the face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising, and as Jacob left Peniel, he was limping because of the injury to his hip. He was limping because of the injury to his hip. What I wanna to talk to you guys about over the next 21 minutes is the process of transitioning and knowing what it is that God is ordaining you to hold on to, but also to let go of. And I've entitled this message, Hold On and Let Go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your people, God, and I thank you for the platform and the opportunity, God, to, to deliver this word to them. Lord, I pray over the next few moments, God, that we have open eyes that we can see you, potentially in areas, God, where we didn't think that you were there, God. I, I pray for open ears that we can hear your voice, we can hear your, your word in areas where we thought that you were silent, God, and I pray for open hearts that we can be the recipients of your love and grace, even in areas where maybe there's been calluses and pains that has been developed. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I got a, I got a confession to, to, to share with you guys. I'm a little bit of a, an adventurous type of guy. Now, when I say adventurous, I'm not talking about anything like jumping outside of an airplane, because to me that doesn't make any sense. That just doesn't compete with logic. So I don't do that. Um, I don't ride motorcycles because I don't feel comfortable with that. I barely can ride a bike. But when I speak about adventurous, I'm talking about riding roller coasters. Don't got anybody in the house that has any love for the roller coasters. All right, all right, I got a couple of y'all. Ever since I was young, I've always been an avid fan of roller coasters. I absolutely have. Like just the thrill of it, the excitement of it, the anticipation of it is great. And, and fortunately, I, I found myself connected to a family that shares my enthusiasm. My oldest son, Keith Jr., he, he loves roller coasters. So we've always had a great time with that. My wife, she's an avid roller coaster rider. My daughter, she's an avid roller coaster rider. But I, I realized that I made a mistake in my roller coaster discipleship process because my youngest son, Caleb, he, he ain't about that life. He, he ain't about that life at all. And, and I remember when we moved here to, to Florida and we got our season passes to start going to Universal Studios, that we started getting on all these roller coaster rides. And I remember the first time we went, um, my son looks at me, he's like, Dad, I'm not, like, we're getting in line. He's like, Dad, I'm not, I'm not getting on. I'm like, what do you mean you're not getting on? Like, you're absolutely getting on. And he's like, no, I'm not getting on, Dad, because I don't like them. And I said, like, how do you not like them? Like, you've never ridden them before. He's a Dad, I don't like them, I'm not getting on it. And so at this point, I feel like this is a teaching moment. As a, as a father, as a pastor, this is the moment where the, the way that I handle this right now can determine some things. And so I say to him, I look at him real intently and I say, listen to me, son. That's the voice of fear speaking right now. And God has not given us the spirit of fear. He has not. 
This is what we're going to do. You're going to get on these roller coasters. And, and, and what's going to happen is after you get off of these roller coasters, if you decide then that you don't like it, I will allow experience to tell the story, but I'm not going to allow fear to dictate your movement. He was like, man, all right. That sounded good. You put that in the wind column for dad. So I said, okay, cool. So we get on the roller coaster ride. He still wasn't that comfortable with it, but he, he got through it. We were really proud of him. Well, at the end of the, at the, end of the day, we, we were about to leave. And um, as we're about to leave, my wife looks over and is like, oh, honey, we didn't, we didn't get on this particular ride just yet. And, and if I could be honest with you, I was very strategic on making sure we didn't get on this particular ride because this was a ride that I wasn't interested in getting on. If, if, you've, if, you've, ever been to, if you've ever been to Universal Studios, it's, it's Hollywood Rip Ride Rocket. And, and, and this ride right here, it's, it's not of God at all. It's, I, I, believe, I, believe that it's, I believe it's a trick of the enemy because the way that the ride is set up, it, it defies the laws of physics because it shoots you straight up into the air. Most roller coaster rides, they have a momentum. It kind of goes up at an angle, it drops down, the momentum gives you loops and all that type of stuff. I'm scientific with my mind, it makes sense. But this ride, it goes straight up and then it drops down. First of all, I'm not an astronaut. It shouldn't be going straight up in the air like that. Why is it going straight up? It should have an angle to it. Why are we going this ride? But nonetheless, this is how this ride is set up. And so I decided myself, I'm not getting on this ride. And so my wife was like, hey, we should get on this ride. And I'm like, nah, we probably shouldn't. And she's looking at me like, well, why not? I'm like, well, you know, I just don't like it. And so my son looks at me and is like, when I said I didn't like the ride, you said I had to get on it. What you mean you don't like the ride? So now my son is calling me out. And I was like, man, shut up. I'll leave you here. So don't talk to me like that. It's disrespectful. And so I, my, wife, my wife looks at me and she's looking at my son. And my son is like, yo, are you serious? What's going on right now? And my wife looks at me very intently in the eyes. You know those husbands, you know those looks that your wives give you? That, that, that look where it's like, okay. And you know that something's about to go down. And she looks at me and she says, what kind of example are you setting for your son? Like she pulled that card. So evidently, everything I'd done up to that point was getting wiped away. If I did not get on this ride, it's the equivalent of me selling crack. That's how she basically defined it. What kind of example are you setting for your son? So I felt like, okay, well, now that she went that route, I guess I got to get on this ride. Fine, let's do it. So I said, okay, let's go. And so my son's like, all right, dad, I believe in you. I'm like, shut up. So, so we, we decided to get on a ride. And so we're walking to get on a ride. And, 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 and I'll be honest with you guys, I don't have the most patience. So typically when we go, I do the express pass because I don't like waiting in the back of the line because when the enemy tries to put you in the back of the line, Jesus is your express pass to take you to the, um, never mind, that's a different message, different message. Anyway, so I, we, we typically get into the express line, but as we were walking up, I decide I wanna get into the regular line because it's much longer. And my wife looks at me, she's like, what are you, what are you doing? I'm like, I had to think quick. I said, Jesus didn't have no express pass. He stayed back here in the back and amongst the people and he, he had fellowship with the common folk. We don't need to go up to the front. Why are we acting so sadiddy? Don't, don't forget where you came from, girl. Don't you be acting like, and so she's looking at me. She's like, are you serious? Man, get up here. So that didn't work either. So we, we get up to the front. We get up to the front of the line and I, and I get on to the ride. And so the interesting thing is the ride has like this moving conveyor belt and it doesn't stop. So when you get on and like you have the guy and he's looking at you, he's like, how many you got? And you're like, okay, it's two of us. He's like rushing you to get onto the ride. It's almost like you're about to jump off the plane. All right, two, two, go, go, go. And it's like, hey man, look, first of all, you need to slow down and explain to me what's about to happen right here. They didn't give me any of that. They didn't give me no manual. They didn't give me no instructions. So it was like, hurry up and get on. So I get on, I put this thing across my lap. And so now my life is in the hands of this teenager. And you know how they're supposed to come by and check the ride to make sure you're secure? I'm confident they skipped me all together. So I'm like, hey, man, can you come and make sure that I'm secure in this spot? Oh, man, you're fine. I'm like, hey, look, I need you to come back and make sure that I'm secure. He's like, oh, man. I'm like, so what, what am I supposed to do? And he looks at me, and he's in a rush and flustered, and he's like, man, just hold on and let go. And I'm like, what does that mean? And then the ride just takes off. 
hold on and let go. And, and I, I'm thinking in that moment, two things. First and foremost, when I get off this ride, I'm gonna go see Chip about his issues and I'm gonna punch him in his face. See, in Orlando, they don't know I'm a pastor, so I can do whatever I want down there. So, so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna see him about his, his attitude when we get back. And then secondly, I'm like, hold on and let go. What does that mean? I can't reconcile what holding on and letting go at the same time is. But what occurs to me is a lot of times, that's exactly how life is. What happens in life is, is, is we have anticipations of, of, of the highs and the lows, the, the, the twists and the turn, and even though we try to anticipate it, it still hits us in the gut, and then somehow we get these messages of hold on and let go. We, 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 we find ourselves at a place where we, we've been dealing with so much brokenness and struggle that we come to a church and, and the church tells us, hey man, give it to God, and you're wondering, well, why did God give it to me? Hold, hold on and let go. Like, what do, is this hot potato? Like, if this is the best way we could have did this, I feel like God could have been a little more efficient by just not giving me the problem in the first place. That's how we tend to think. And the reality is this is exactly where Jacob finds himself. He finds himself as a man who had been running from God his entire life, running from his calling his entire life. And now he's at the place where he has to make some decisions. You know, the Bible says something very interesting about Jacob as the narrative begins. It says that Jacob was restless that night. He couldn't sleep. He didn't have any peace inside of himself. And so when he gets up, the Bible tells us that he, he takes his family and he takes them across the Jabbok River. He takes his resources across the Jabbok River. And then the text says something very interesting. It says, and Jacob was all alone. That's fascinating to me because he had his family, but Jacob was all alone. Jacob had his resources, his wealth, but the Bible said that Jacob was all alone. You know, it's, it's possible to check off everything on your to-do list and still feel that you haven't accomplished the thing because you still feel all alone. Sometimes we set goals saying that, man, if by this time next year, I can just be married. We reach that goal and we're wondering, but I still feel all alone. If I can just get this job, then maybe I'll be a little bit more fulfilled and we still feel all alone. Or, or, or maybe if I can just get this income, if I could just make this amount of money, then I know that I'll be complete. But at the end of the day, we still feel all alone. See, Jacob had separated himself from his family with the Jabbok River. The reason why that's so important is because Jabbok means empty. So Jacob was at a place where there was an emptiness that was separating him from the resources and things that God has given him, and he felt all alone. What do you do when you feel like you have everything you've ever wanted, but yet you still feel an emptiness on the inside of you? What do you do when you, you have the family, but yet you still feel that there's an emptiness on the inside of you? What do you do when you build your, your dream home, but yet you still feel like you haven't accomplished your goal? What do you do when you, you look at your life and you say to yourself, I've accomplished everything. I've, 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 I've matched everything that's on my New Year's resolution list. I've thought and I've prayed about these things and I feel like God has given them to me, but there's still is this emptiness on the inside of me. You see, the emptiness that you feel is meant to be filled with the presence of God. I've learned in my life that man cannot fill a God-sized gap. It's absolutely impossible. What ends up happening though is we take the brokenness of our past, we take the struggles of our situations, and then we make decisions based on it. So let's say for instance, you've had some daddy issues and maybe your dad has walked out of your life. Well then we have to figure out something to do with that empty space that's there. So what often happens is we put that onto the shoulders of a relationship that was never meant to bear that weight. No one can ever take that space and nothing can fill that space except for God, but we'd like to accumulate things in an effort in the hopes of believing that this will make me feel a little bit better. So we fill it with more stuff. Maybe if I can just get this job 
job, I feel a little bit better, but I still feel empty. If I could just get this income, I feel a little bit better, but we still feel empty. What do you do with that emptiness when you have it? You know what you do? You, you give it to God because God is masterful at taking space and creating life with it. You know, the Bible tells us in Genesis, the first chapter, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. You know what that means? That means it was an empty space. There was nothing but a complete blackness in the abyss. But what God did is he looked down, took inventory of the situation, and he said, let there be light. When light began to shine, then he began to create life and began to create resources and things along those lines. Let me tell you something. Maybe you're at a place right now in your life where maybe there's some emptiness. Maybe there's some darkness and there's a void in your life. But if you give it to God, he will turn on a light and begin to allow resources and freedom and things to come into your life that's going to bring balance to you. But you got to first give it to God. You got to give your emptiness to God. When you give God the space, it gives him permission to create on your behalf. Jacob finds himself all alone, but interestingly enough, he wasn't there alone as long as he thought he was. See, the Bible says that while he was there all alone, dealing with this emptiness on the inside of him, that a man emerged from the shadows. Now, I, I wanna teach you guys a, a, a theological term. We're not gonna stay here long. Real quick, I'm gonna be in and out. But a theophany is the manifestation of God in human form in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus is the manifestation of God in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, when God wanted to manifest himself in the form of a man, he would use a theophany. So this is what he did in the Old Testament. So this man shows up, but it's actually God. And what the Bible says is that it was a dark night. And even though Jacob was alone, this man who was God showed up. I want you to be encouraged that even in your darkest moment, God knows exactly where you are and he knows when to show up. God showed up in his darkest moment when he thought that he was all alone. It was, it was in this time that, that the Bible says that they got into this wrestling match. Now, this, this is what you gotta understand from Jacob's perspective. He's been running from God all these years. He's been running from his uncle. Now he's been running from his brother, and now he's at a place where he doesn't know who this guy is. This guy could very well be an assassin. This guy could be his brother. He doesn't know what to do, so now he naturally is in this defensive term, tone where he sees this man, he's like, okay, well, I gotta get prepared. My fight or flight is gonna kick in, and I can't run anymore, so I guess it's gonna be on. So he begins to fight and wrestle with this man. It doesn't take long for him to recognize that this man is actually God. And what I've learned about life is that when God steps into the shoes of humanity, he brings a mirror to reflect the truth to the areas that we haven't submitted to him. He steps in and he says, okay, let me show you the areas of your life that you haven't submitted to me just yet. And Jacob is wrestling with himself. He's wrestling with his calling. He's wrestling with his purpose. He's wrestling with his identity. I'm not sure if you ever have been in a place where you've wrestled with God before. I remember several years ago when I felt that God was calling me into full-time ministry. I've been, I was working in, in the school system. I was doing very well. And the thing that was really clear to me was I knew what the next step was. If I do this and do this, then I'm going to end up here. If I do this, then by this time next year, my salary will be here. It was very clear what my pattern and my path was going to be. But when God put the burden on my heart and said, but I'm calling you, into full-time ministry, I found myself wrestling with God. I found myself at a place where I was like, well, God, can you give me some guarantees? Can you give me some things that I know for a fact that's gonna take place? And God said, listen, son, I can't give you any guarantees, but I can give you some promises. I can tell you for a fact that I will not leave you nor forsake you. I can tell you for a fact that no matter what you go through, I'm gonna stand by your side. But many times we're looking for guarantees when God said, can you just be content with my presence? And as I found myself there, God said, but it's okay. Wherever you decide to go, my grace will meet you there. But at the end of the day, do you want to stand in my presence and say, God, I didn't fulfill what you called me to do because you couldn't afford me? Wow. That kind of changes things a little bit. That changes things a little bit. And so for me, I, I made up my mind then, Lord, whatever it is that you are calling me to do, I'll say yes. 
I don't know what the next steps are gonna be, but I'll say yes. I don't know what next year is gonna hold, but I'll say yes. And can I tell you that I have never regretted saying yes to God. You will never regret saying yes to God and being obedient to what he's calling you to do. Jacob finds himself wrestling with this man. And we, and we learn really quick that the, the Bible tells us that the fight goes on all night long. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever had a confrontation, but a, a, an all night confrontation is exhausting. When I, when I think about it, I think about it and I reflect back when I was in sixth grade and I got into my first confrontation. It was with a dude named Matthew. I'm still looking for him. I saw him on Facebook when I see him, it's on. Um, it's not over. Um, but I remember when, when um, a friend of mine had called me up. This is going way back now. Some of you guys may not understand some of this, but there was no text messaging, there was no Facebook, there was no tweeting, so my friend had to call me on a rotary phone. Anybody remember that? There was a My mom went paying for the push-push button. Absolutely not. So we had the rotary phone. I remember getting a phone call, and he said, hey, man, listen, um, Matthew don't like you. Tomorrow, man, you just want to be prepared to fight. So I'm like, oh, man, ain't no thing. I got an older brother, man. I've been sparring. I know what I'm doing. So I said, instead of me saying I'm going to take it to my brother, I said, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to prepare myself. So I did what any sixth grader would do is I got, okay, here's another term that you guys may not be familiar with. I had some VCR tapes. These are things that, that happened before, before YouTube. I had a VCR tape of some Bruce Lee movies. So I put the Bruce Lee movies in and I'm watching Enter the Dragon. I'm like, oh man, I'm good now. I show up at school the next day and, and, I, and I see Matthew over on the side. And I mean, and I'm literally channeling Bruce Lee. Like, you don't understand. Like, it was like, it was inside of me at this point. So I look over and I see Matthew. He looks at me and I'm like, I legitimately start speaking in subtitles. I'm like, I heard you in a fight. Let's go. I, I, and so my friends are looking at me like, what is wrong with him? Like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, and the interesting thing about karate movies, they lie to me because in karate movies, there's this etiquette where you have an opportunity to do your little dance, like, ah, crouching tiger, hidden dragon. It was none of that. By the time we ended up having this little discourse, next thing I know, we're all stumbled together. We hitting against the lockers and it broke up. It probably lasted all of four seconds, literally, like all of four seconds. And I remember coming through and I'm looking up and everybody's like looking at me and I'm like, who won? Like, what happened? Who won? I mean, I'm exhausted at this point because you're exerting so much energy. Because when you're dealing with someone that's giving you opposition, it takes an extra measure of energy to not only move yourself, but to move them as well. So imagine when you find yourself wrestling against God. Maybe there's some areas of your life that you feel so exhausted because those are areas of your life that you haven't submitted to God just yet. Because I could tell you that God's not moving. So as Jacob finds himself exhausted wrestling with this man, he still had endurance, which leads me to this thought. It's interesting how we have so much endurance when it comes to fighting against God, but very little patience when it comes to waiting on him. Mm, I'm gonna hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let that settle for a minute. Let that settle. I felt like there was a slow cap coming. They're like, yeah, I see what you're saying there. Okay. But here's Jacob is, he, 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 he's fighting with this man. And, and, and so at this point, the Bible says that when the man saw that he couldn't prevail, he said, he broke his hip. And at this point, Jacob recognizes, he sees a light that goes off and says, man, this is not a regular man. I'm, I'm actually having an encounter with God. And, and the man says to him, let me go. In other words, he was saying like, let go of the way of you want to do things your way. Let go of your philosophies. Let go of, of your ideology. Just let it go. Just let go of doing it your own way. And, and, and in that moment, he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. I, 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 won't, I won't let you go until you give me the blessing that I need. This is what's so powerful. The man says to him, he says, well, what is your name? And he says, I am Jacob. Jacob means trickster, deceiver. This is why this is so important. Because back in Genesis 27, 
When Jacob was looking for the blessing, he literally took on his brother's identity. And when his brother said, who are, when his dad said, who are you? He said, I am Esau, because he felt that he had to be somebody else in order to be blessed. But now we fast forward time, and he's standing in the presence of God. And God says to him, who are you? He says, I'm no longer going to be something that I'm not. I'm just gonna confess who I am, I'm Jacob. I got some areas of my life, God, that I need you to touch. I have some areas of my life where I've been running away from you, God. I got some areas of my life that I need to let go of. It's in that moment that God moved on his life and blessed him. Here's what I want you to understand. That if you truly wanna be blessed, you have to let go of carrying the weight of someone else's identity. It's in that moment, it's in that moment where Jacob let go of who he was and began to hold on to the presence of God. The angel, which was God, says to him, he says, you know what, no longer will you be known as Jacob, but going forward, you're gonna be Israel, which stands for champion of God. He went from being a deceiver. He, he went from being a conniver to now being the champion of God with one encounter, with one interaction. Let me tell you something, who you were is not who you are. What you've done is not who you are. All you have to do is get in the presence of God and admit to God, like, this is where I'm at, God. I've learned in my life, if you really wanna be altered at the altar, you have to identify the things that just don't fit. And that means wearing someone else's identity. It's in this moment that Jacob receives his new identity. I wanna invite the worship team to come out as I prepare to close, and I wanna share this thought with you. As Jacob is in this place where he receives his, his new identity, as Jacob finds himself in this place where he gets this new name, the Bible says something very interesting. It says that the sun begins to shine on Jacob as he leaves this place where he had this encounter with God. The sun is shining on Jacob. And the Bible says that he walks away with a limp. The sun is, is shining on Jacob, but he's, he's walking away with a limp. I've learned in my life that when you have an encounter with God, it'll change the way that you walk. I've learned in my life that it'll change the way that you walk around certain things in your life. Because the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that we walk by faith and not by sight. So even though my eyes are telling me that some things are messed up in my life, my faith tells me that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose because I walk by faith and not by sight. I can look at my marriage and my eyes tell me that my marriage may not be the way that it should be and culture is telling me that I need to let it go, but I walk by faith and not by sight. So the word of God tells me what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. I could get a, a negative report from the doctor and the doctor's telling me that I'm sick and it doesn't look like there's any chance of me ever getting healed. But I walk differently around that information because the Bible tells me I walk by faith and not by sight. And this says that by his stripes, I am healed. You know, I've had some setbacks in 2015. I lost my grandmother and it really tore me apart. But it's interesting how even when you have things like that, it changes the way you walk around death because the Bible tells me to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord because I walk by faith and not by sight. It changes the way that you see things when you have an encounter with God. It changes the way that you walk around pain. It changes the way that you walk around your setbacks. It changes the way that you walk around your struggles and your situations because we walk by faith and not by sight. I don't know what's in your view right now, but you have to make sure you're looking at it through the view of the finished work of Jesus. If you look at it through the lens of Jesus, you will understand that I'm walking with power, I'm walking with authority, I'm walking with freedom because I walk by faith and not by sight. It doesn't matter what the enemy says, it doesn't matter what the doctor report says, I walk by faith and not by sight. I don't care what the enemy shows me, I see Jesus in the midst of my situation. Do you see Jesus where you are? Jesus is with you when you're darkest. Jesus is with you where you're standing. Jesus is with you because we walk by faith and not by sight.
you gotta make sure you keep your eyes on Jesus in spite of it all. As I, as I, as I think back to my time on, on my roller coaster ride, this particular ride gives you the option of choosing the music you wanna to listen to while you're being terrified on this ride. It's interesting, it's, 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 it's psychology. And when I was looking at the options that was in front of me, I didn't have many. They didn't have any worship music. They didn't have Pastor Matt there playing Love So Sweet in my ear. There was none of that stuff. Only option I had at this point was Taylor Swift, country music, or Kanye West. Let's be honest, I'm not gonna listen to country music. So I felt that my only option was to go with Kanye West. Because I saw the title of the song and it said that what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. As I'm on this ride, and I'm thinking that this very well could be my last moments on earth. And I'm preparing myself for, okay, is the life insurance paid up? Do my kids know what they need to do in the event that I don't survive this ride? The music begins to play in my ear. The music begins to play in my ear and I find that I'm letting go of the fear and more so listening to the words because the words are telling me what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. As the first drop comes in, I'm not, I'm not holding on as tight as I used to because I recognize what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. My grip begins to loosen up because I'm hearing the words of the song tell me that what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Celebration Church, I wanna let you know that when you're dealing with some things where you have fear, you have to be careful of what you listen to because what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Who are you listening to? Who are the things that are speaking into your spirit? Who are the things that are getting inside of your heart? You may need to change your playlist so that you can hear what God says about that situation and not what the culture says, not what the world says. I have to listen to something that's going to make me stronger. I want to let y'all know that Jacob was in that same position. As he left that encounter with God, I'm confident that people still want to call him Jacob, but he had to let go of Jacob and hold on to Israel. And I believe in life that we have to find the things that we got to hold on to and let go of. We got to hold on to peace and let go of confusion. We got to hold on to joy and let go of love. We got to hold on to grace and let go of law. We got to hold on to healing and let go of brokenness. We got to hold on to freedom and let go of bondage. We got to hold on to Jesus and let go of fear. What is it that God is telling you to hold on to? What is it that he's telling you to let go of? Because you got to hold on and let go. Today is the day of salvation in Jesus' name. I, I want to ask you, I want to ask you this question. Super simple. You're in here today and it's not by accident. We're entering into 2016 and I, and I promise you that God has a true plan for your life. But as we all look at our goals, we begin to, to, to identify what it is that God wants to do in us in 2016. There's also that moment where we have to be truthful with what is it that God wants me to let go of? And what is it that he wants me to hold on to? If, if you're in here today and you have this honest moment with yourself and you will say, Keith, I know that I have big plans and God has big things for me in 2016, but I feel in my heart there's some things that I need to let go of. If that's you, I'm not gonna call you to the front. I just wanna pray for you. If that's you and you know that in 2016, there's some things that you just need the power of the grace of God to let go of it. I just want you to lift a hand. Amen, amen. Hands up everywhere. Hands up everywhere. You are not alone. Orange Park, Julington Creek, the Family Lounge, I, I see you. You can go ahead and, and put those hands down. My, my second question is this. Maybe you're in here today and, and maybe you came here because you were invited. Maybe you're, you're here because you came to the Grinch. But if you could be honest with yourself, you would say, Keith, I've never held on to Jesus. And in other words, I've never placed him first. Or if I did, I fell away, but I recognize that my next step is putting God first. I recognize that my next step is letting go of my way of doing things and grabbing a hold of Jesus. If you're in here today and you're ready for a fresh start with God and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, again, I'm not gonna call you down. I just wanna pray for you. Could you signify that by raising a hand? Amen, amen. 
Raise them high, be bold. Amen, 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 amen. In, in a moment, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for everybody, but before I do, I want all of us to repeat this prayer with those who are making the confession to put Jesus first. Maybe you've made it before, maybe you, you didn't, but we're gonna say it all together as a family. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead. And because of that, I am saved. I am free. I am delivered. In Jesus' name, amen. What I wanna do now is I wanna, I wanna pray for everybody in here. It doesn't matter what your role is. It doesn't matter if you wanna park a team. It doesn't matter if you're in the back in the booth. None of us are too busy that we can't receive a prayer from the Word of God. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for your people, God. God, I thank you for the, the vision and the ideas and their presence in 2016. Father, I thank you for allowing us to make it through 2015 with your presence and with your grace. Lord, I pray for every individual, God, here at the arena, God, at Julington Creek, God, at Orange Park, listening on a podcast later, Father, that you meet them exactly where they are, God, that you reveal to them the areas of their lives where they need to hold on to you and let go of the things of the world, Father. I pray that your grace empowers them, God, to say yes to the things you tell them to say yes to and empower them to say no to the things they need to say no to, God. Father, I pray for healing. I pray for the breaking of any bondage of addiction, Father. God, I pray for your anointing to move so mightily, God, that when people leave out of here, God, they're recognizing that their walk is not the same anymore that they don't talk the same anymore because they had an encounter with you, God, that radically changed their life. Father, I pray for marriages to be restored. I pray for finances, God. I pray for breakthrough, God. I pray that 2016 is a year where you are revealed more clearly now than ever before. So in the name of Jesus, I bind the voice of the enemy by the power of the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.